Hoping God as we continue to study your word. Continue to show us glimpses of your glory through us. And show us how we can be world changers as Jonah was. Amen. I said last week as we got into Jonah together that Jonah is a book of two halves. It's a book a bit like that has a sort of mirror down the middle. You get uh, chapters one and two, which is a bit sort of mission fail, and chapters three and four, which are sort of mission success. So as we move from chapters one and two to chapters three and four, we move through the mirror, if you like, from seeing Jonah making a bit of a mess of it, you might say, to God helping Jonah make a bit more of a success of it. Although I hope you agree with me as we start to look at this book a bit more in detail. That sort of stark either-or that maybe we traditionally see as we read Jonah starts to fizzle a bit. Maybe we start to see Jonah as a bit more human, a bit more real. We start to understand him maybe not quite as useless as we see that first seeing, and we start to journey with him a bit more. The other thing that we see with Jonah is that chapter 1 and chapter 3 have some real, real similarities, because they're where God sends Jonah off to where God wants him to be, and chapters 2 and chapter 4 have some similarities as well. As we come to chapter 3 this morning, we again see God sending Jonah on his mission. And we're going to see what happens second time round. What happens when Jonah actually goes to where God wants him to go? At the end of chapter 2, which is where we got to at the end of last week, we get that wonderful verse chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <coughs> Those of us who have small people know lots about that moment, don't we? When it just comes, and Jonah came, and there he lands on the dry land. But you remember last week, I said something about how the Jewish hearers of Jonah would think about that moment when Jonah chose to go to sea. We said that the Jewish hearers of the story of Jonah would see the sea as danger, that they were land people, that they really didn't do fishing or fish, they were people of the land. So actually, chapter 2 and verse 10, and the reference to dry land, is actually about safety. It sounds very much like that moment where you read it in the story or we've got the pictures up with children and we think, ah yes, spew. And we all laugh, don't we, at the moment. We hear it in the children's version, he was spewed up, he was thrown up. But when we read it and we actually see the bit about dry land, this is about safety. And it's more than about safety, it's about restoration. Because this is where Joe, God says to Jonah, I've got you back where I want you. You're back on dry land. And if you think about the analogy of the Jewish hearers, seeing the sea as the danger place, the moment when Jonah chose death, rather than going God's way, 
when the Lord commanded the fish and he vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's the moment of restoration. That's the turning point in the book. Because once Jonah's restored, once he's back right with God, God can use him again. So the end of chapter 2, verse 10, back on dry land, Jonah is stored, ready for God to use him again. Which is why when we get to chapter 3, we get the beginning that's the same as the chapter 1 beginning. Because Jonah's being restored. He's ready for God to use him again. <clears throat> I'll come later to talk about what this means for us. But let's continue for now with the story. A similar beginning here. In fact, almost the same. The word then is put in in the Hebrew. But if you read chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. After the then in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You know what? I wish writing sermons were that simple. I wish I could sit down during the week and it was like, go to Trinity, go to Kielder this afternoon, go to Kielder and proclaim the message. You know, I feel like Jonah some weeks. Because I said to Tara last night, I, went, I was writing this last night, and I went downstairs at one point for a cup of tea and I said, I'll be 10 minutes. And they appeared 40 minutes later and she said, I thought you were only going to be 10 minutes. I know what Jonah feels like sometimes. It's a bit more complicated then go and speak what God says. But actually, I think Jonah knew what Nineveh was like. He knew it wasn't an easy place to go and say what God wanted to be said. But this time, after his experience, after his crying out, after his honesty with God, Jonah goes and he goes to say what God wants him to say. We know it takes him a while to get there. He's probably been spewed up out of the fish somewhere close to Tarshish. About 900 miles to get to Nineveh. Tom Stuckey says in his commentary on Jonah, a lot of time to think if you've got to take 900 miles to get there. What do we know about Nineveh when he gets there? It's a large city. Verse 3 tells us it takes three days to get through it to take the message. It's not like a short walk across Hexham from the train station up to Lowgate. This is a long stretch. And what does Jonah go to say? So in verse 4, if you've got it in front of you, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Hebrew for overthrown is not quite so polite. Obliterate. Because if you read chapter 1, this is a place of great wickedness. Jonah's message is God will obliterate it because of its wickedness. This has almost got the feel of the flood story, hasn't it? This has almost got the feel of it will be gone, it will be over. But if you're Jonah, all is going well at this point. You've had your bad experience, you've gone with your message, and what you've been asked to do is about to happen. And probably if you're Jonah, you're sitting back and you're thinking, nice, 
I can polish my halo, I've gone, I've delivered my message, and now I'm going to sit back and watch the destruction. And I'll be honest, there are moments when I feel like that. I've found frustration, I've said what I need to say, and now I'm going to sit back and watch. Anybody else have moments like that? Or is it just me if I've done it like that? Oh good, one or two of you have been with me. But of course, something different happens, doesn't it? And I said last week that when you unpick Jonah bit by bit, you see so much more. And I think there's something really interesting that we see in verses 5 to 9. As we start to see what happens after Jonah delivers his message. And I think what we see here is an understanding of what it means that God has given each of us, you and I, sat here this morning, the people of Nineveh, free will. I said last week, this is a story. This was a story written after the exile to help people understand something of God. And I think what we see in verses 5 to 9 is a real understanding of the choice and the free will that God gives us. Because, let's be honest, no one expected anybody to listen to Jonah. Everyone expected people to carry on as they were, to be wicked, to be nasty, to be against God. But the people of Nineveh were God's people. They were made in the image of God, and just like everybody else in the garden in Genesis, were given free will. And that free will allows us to make good choices and bad choices. What did people then ever do? Well, they started making good choices. They listened. They didn't want to be overthrown or obliterated. They wanted to change. They wanted to respond. And what did they do? They called the fast, all of them. They put on sackcloths. Who's heard the phrase, sackcloths and ashes? <coughs> heard the phrase? Do you know what it means? Sackcloths are a sign of submission. If you read in 1 Kings, when people wanted to submit to God, as a sign of their submission, they put on sackcloths. So the readers of, this, of Jonah would have been Jewish readers, they would have known the story of one kings because we're now post the exile, they would have known when the people of Nineveh put on sackcloths, they were showing their submission to God. And the ashes were about forgiveness, but it just comes in one kings, not here in Jonah. About repentance and humility, the sackcloths are a sign of submission to God. So Jonah goes, he goes to tell them you're wicked, you're not doing God's way, and suddenly they turn around and they don't just like being nice to each other, but they put on sackcloth, they show their submission to God. And this is not just a few of them in one bit of this massive city, but when we get to verse 6, the king joins in. The king hears what Jonah is warning them of, and he joins in, he takes off his royal robes, you came out of the Holy Club training at lunchtime yesterday, you saw Father Chris about to do a wedding at St. Mary's, he had all his great finery on, he had his gold cloak on for a wedding yesterday. The king takes off his gold cloak, a like Father Chris was looking like yesterday. He sends out a decree. He tells people what they've been eating in line with the Jewish law. He tells them to wear sackcloth to all show their submission to God. And then in verse 8, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. <coughs> the 
then in verse 9, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Power, free will gives us. Power in our lives to change what we do. Power to turn from evil and violence to peace and love. Power to turn from our ways to submit to the way of God. And what we see here in Jonah chapter 3 are the people of Nineveh saying, actually, we're going to listen. And we're going to use the choice that we have. And maybe, just maybe, even though there's nothing we do to deserve it, maybe, just maybe, God will see us differently. I love this phrase in Tom Stubby's commentary on Jonah chapter 3. The king chooses to act with the possibility of deliverance in mind, however real the destruction and obliteration must have seemed. He chooses to act with the possibility of deliverance in mind. The pagan king, the person who isn't part of God's family, isn't that part of God's chosen person. That people, chosen people, sorry, chooses to act with the possibility of deliverance. <clears throat> and then in verse 10 we see what God does. He sees the choices the people of Nineveh have made and he doesn't bring the overthrowing. He doesn't obliterate them. Why would he? Why would God overthrow a whole community who has shown their submission to him? God rejoices when people turn to him. He wants to shout, Amen, Hallelujah, how amazing is that? Remember that verse in Luke 15? There is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Imagine what heaven was like that day when the whole of Nineveh, the whole city, turned in submission to God. Jonah chapter 3 is good news. It's good news because it shows what happened when people choose God's way. Now, of course, our friend Jonah wasn't very happy about it, was he? In fact, he went and sulked under a tree. But I shall leave chapter 4 for my friend Tony Bucus in a fortnight's time on the 1st of July. Jonah chapter 3 is a story of God's people seeing God and rejoicing. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and I here in Hexham in 2018? What do we see, having looked at it in a bit more depth, and maybe we look at it when we read the story, and we say, oh, Jonah went to Nineveh, and he told God's people, and the city listened. I want to take you back to chapter 2 and verse 10. We can all be restored. We can all be used by God. Last week, I stood here amongst all those things we were honest and vulnerable with God. And we remembered in the midst of it, Jesus comes and stands. Bread and wine in the middle of it all. I don't believe for a moment that in one week all those things have gone away. But Jonah reminds us that over time, or bit by bit, or some of how we feel and some of God, each of us can be restored. Each of us can be used 
by God. God plants us back on the dry ground. The dry ground where we can be whole and restored. That's a promise from God. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a short time. But God's promise here and now is that he can and he will restore us all to dry ground. Unlike Jonah, he has something for all of us to do. I want us to remember this morning that God has something for all of us, however we feel. Secondly, I want us to remember that each of us has free will. It might not always feel like it. In the midst of the busyness of life, or the pressures of work, or family, or home, or church, free will might seem a million miles away when there's a list of jobs so long that they have to be done. But fundamentally, each of us has free will. We have choices on all sorts of levels. How we respond to one another. How we respond to the environment. How we work with our colleagues. How we run our businesses. Unlike the people of Nineveh, we are urged to make those choices in godly ways. I remind you of Romans chapter 12 and those opening verses. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will. It's good and pleasing and perfect will. Jonah chapter 3 reminds us that our choices are to live for God. That part of that process of being restored is to live as God's people, to make the God choice. Recognising that we won't always, but that God's forgiveness makes it possible to keep choosing again and again. And then third and finally, through you, through me, through each of us, God can change the world. And that's what excites me about Jonah chapter 3. God wants to work in partnership to make the world a better place. Jonah was just a world changer. He didn't think he was. He was so scared he went the other way and he was swallowed by a fish. But by accepting God's call, by speaking a simple message, it was quite scary. The world was changed to be a better place. We can change it. We are people who can change the world. And please don't sit there thinking, not me. Please don't think that, sit there thinking, I'm not significant enough. Because each and every one of us are. We can be world changers. And the key question here, I think, is Tom Stuffy's question. Are we people who look for opportunities of deliverance? And are we people who sit in a mindset of destruction? Do we look at the world and think, here is an opportunity that God can change? <coughs> or do we just sit and say, look, it's going to be? It doesn't have to be a whole city. It could be your street or your workplace, the charity you volunteer for, 
situation you can speak love into. An injustice you see and you can challenge. I know so many of you do this already. I was thinking last night about the difference, the prayers and the feedback that Christians made into the school's consultation. And I'm looking at somebody at the very front who made such a difference into that over the last few months. The change that the co-local authority had, but the continued prayers that we make for our schools and the difference that the Christian government and Christian teachers make. They are the donors in this community. Those of you who run businesses, who treat employees, those of you who manage employees and treat them honestly and fairly are the donors in our workplaces. The voices of Christians who speak up against universal credit and benefit sanctions, those who work in the food banks in Hexham and are trustees of charities. Those are the donors in our community. Those are the world changers. Jonah chapter 3, which Haman tells us that we can be world changers because we speak challenge, which is godly challenge. And people listen and people act just as the people of Nineveh This morning I look out at a church of world changers. Not because we can do it on our own, sorry. But because I look at you and I know in partnership with God, in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit and a willingness to open our mouths and speak of the way of God, between us we can change the world. So let's stop. Let's listen to God. And let's pray for his help that like Jonah, we can be world changers.